Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 29th episode of Tried and True, a podcast hosted by Delaware War Machine. I am your host, Paul. I'm Dan. I'm Erica. I'm Andy. With Warfare Weekend just finishing up, and then they uh, just showed off the uh, new Steamroller documents, thought it'd be a great opportunity for us to go ahead and talk about all that. So what you, were your overall first thoughts when you saw him? Um, so I initially was a little bit uh, taken aback because I thought this was a lot different than what I had expected. Um, you know, we transitioned to imaginary zones, so to speak, uh, rather than the neoprene squares and circles that we've been playing with for so long. Um, so it's a big change for me, um, but it's an exciting one. Yeah, the two big things I see are it's a little bit harder to measure to things, and there are things out there on the table that you can't land on <laughs> that exist that didn't exist before that kind of make um, the the larger, more immobile pieces kind of annoyed. Uh, so my initial my initial thoughts is one I'm kind of glad to see the neoprene zones go away. Yeah, there's lots of different points that we're gonna be chatting about with this, and I'm I'm stoked about it. So let's let's go ahead and start off by thanking all of you, our listeners, who are giving us your time to be able to listen to what we're thinking about with the new steamroller or anything that's war machine related. Uh, thanks to uh, More Than Dice for giving us another platform to share the great news. Uh, lots of other good podcasts that are out there. Go ahead and take a look at the show notes for, for some of the active ones. You know, they pop up all over the internet, and for all the patrons on patreon thank you for your continued support always appreciate what you uh do to help us out be able to make good quality content if you haven't done so already or if you're interested in joining up with the patreon we'll have that linked over there in the show notes uh and then finally the uh community site if you weren't aware of it the community site is up and running hey paul quick announcement about the communities page the map now has over 150 unique pins for people playing war machine around the world if you're listening to this and you haven't been to the community site, go check out the site, put in your location, and help us get to 200. And if you're not on the map, get on the map so that way you can get more games to the table. Okay, and then as for current events, the store I think is doing their Black Friday sale. And big news with that is that they just re released the old like preview boxes, like the Gen Con boxes, and um, I guess like preview army boxes. So your Brian Bloods, you can get to like your. Um, what is it the boom howler with like the light and the heavy and then the um, Hazroth with his light and heavy etc etc so um, I think that was a very good move uh, as a lower barrier to entry for people who are interested in playing the game as well as being able to supply all the bells and whistles of your magnetic models I mean I think we've been pushing for the um, the preview boxes to be a permanent thing for a while now I think that's uh it's ev- pretty much everybody current players and players who want to get into the game have been kind of no 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 no. i'm saying that there was actually another announcement that it was like there's another box that's going to be coming of like yeah, even new yeah, stuff that, that box worries me a little bit i heard something about that as well but um last i read like on facebook and discords and whatnot was that there was still confusion about what the final form of that would be so take that with a grain of salt i guess yeah, the the from what I read, it was they are set loadouts for either existing Jackson beasts or completely new Jackson beasts. I'm not entirely sure what the actual um, official word on it is, but the set loadout thing worries me if it's for the existing stuff. No one knows what the final word on it is. Yeah, whatever it ends up being, it's just again, it's more goodies, which I'm looking forward to. Exactly. I think the bottom line of it is that anything that exists as an extra entry point to the game is 
typically viewed as a good thing by our community. People want new players to be able to jump in quick and offering more starter box options to be available for the different armies can only be a big benefit. Yeah, I'm only concerned for the amount of skew, right? Because they were talking about like skew bloat before. So we're now at the core army box, your expansion box, your 80 mil. And now we're going back to also getting the preview box. And now there's four boxes and we're now talking about five. So it's just, again, we're, I guess it's like treading waters on the things that um, we want to make sure that you know, our local retail stores don't feel like they're overburdened with the stuff. I was going to say, they also, I think they're doing a Black Friday promotion with the Winter Core bundle, which is the core army box, Boris and Friends, a guard tower, and the pirate defenses that were limited to the 2023 conventions. Was it just the Winter Core box or was it any of the core boxes? I saw Winter Core. Is it any of them? I don't. The Winter Core box is in the image. The text on the solicitation said any core army Mark IV starter. Oh, that's great. If you haven't picked up anything, go pick up some, some stuff. If you know people that are interested in playing the game or that are interested, definitely like shepherd them to that area. Yeah. Uh, Delaware War Machine news, nothing really crazy is happening. We're going to be starting a Resurrection League this week, so we're looking forward to that. And then Erica, you say King of Coin is starting the 1st of January. You want to go do a plug for that for November? Yeah, so hear ye, hear ye, King of Coin is uh, back in sesh for 2024. We did a short video showing off where uh, all of our 16 coins are being sent to. So if you're in the area or you're coming to play at one of our local steamrollers or conventions on the East Coast, we'll probably have a, a coin or two there. Uh, so the league officially runs one January until the first of August with the King of Coin finals and Prince of Pence finals taking place at the Nova Open. Yeah, so the uh, the league is free to join. We just ask that you you know join us on Discord. That way we can give you a special role. You get access to the spreadsheet uh, that has all the players that are registered as well as who has the coin at that current time. And I think as of today, we have about 50 people in the league. I'm really happy to hear that the reception was so um, high or was so welcomed and that you have even more people interested in starting it out. This yeah. Year. So that's really Yeah, exciting. Dan. Um, and I, I was approached, I think, on Facebook or Discord. And I think Dan had also um, answered inquiry of a couple of other metas that were interested in, in starting something like this. Uh, yeah, we had a uh, Facebook message come in from a group out in, in Germany. So I thought that was pretty cool that... Uh, someone across the uh, world is interested in following that uh, that type of league that we're doing. I just think the whole physical prize moving around is such an awesome idea, and more places should do it if possible. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't somebody off in the West end up saying that they were interested, like in the Nevada area or something? So they would love to go do it, like out in the West. I don't somewhere? know. If it was, I don't know if it was that way. I think um, there's a group in Michigan that was interested in in starting up. Maybe that was it. And if anyone's yeah. and if anyone's interested, little plug for Ye Lasersmith, uh, Brandon and Sarah, a husband and wife team. They do some amazing custom woodwork. We use them for our custom coins. I think Siege Invitational. That's where their big ginormous hammer and a lot of their prize support comes from. Uh, hit them up. They have a store on Etsy. They are uh, awesome. They do amazing work, uh, good quality work. And if you're looking to run a league like this, um, I would definitely point you in their direction. I was just going to say is that if you're still doing this uh, wood uh, coin kind of setup, is that we might have to go and maybe change our specific design so people know that this is the Nova King of Coin and not the 
I don't know, Germany, King of Coin, or, or what have you. It's like someone like flies on over, like, hey, I'm ready to play. It's like, oh, this is not the right one. That's why we have the receipts on the Google Doc, okay? <laughs> and that's the thing, too. So last year, all right, we got 14 out of 16 back. Not bad, not bad. But if I can get all 16 coins in D.C. next year, we may, we may upgrade our coins to metal. Can you throw in like a sick guitar riff when she says metal? Wow. No, it's okay. <laughs> that sounds like my cat. <laughs> okay, and with that, we're going to go ahead and get to our community spotlight. And this time, we're going to go be stateside. Hello and welcome to the Community Spotlight. On this section, I am joined by Michael Sitvarin from New York. Michael, go ahead and say hi. Hi, how are you doing? Michael, thank you so much for joining us and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to fill out the Community Spotlight section. Uh, you ended up talking to us about what you're doing off in New York. How about you go ahead and start with the introduction? You can introduce who you are and how long you've been playing for uh, and, and what the area, the local scene is like where you're at. Yeah, I have been playing since I think about 2010. It was shortly after Retribution got introduced um, and I think Mark II was fairly new. I kind of grew up playing the game around Cincinnati and uh, have since played in Georgia for a while as well. And just recently in August, moved to New York. I'm in what we call the capital region, so around Albany. And yeah, I started playing Cricks way back when. Still love Cricks. Uh, picked up Retribution uh, for a while. Still have Retribution. Played Legion for a bit. Uh, and just recently got into Infernals. Nice, that's really great. How have you been enjoying with the uh, faction hopping? Do you have a preference of which one you prefer? Um, I mean, I can always go back to Crix. That's like the, the soft and comfortable evil. Uh, so uh, that's really nice. Uh, I switched into Retributions, really my secondary, uh, just because they had guns and, and that was kind of unique uh, and different from Crix for a long time, especially in Mark II. <laughs> and then Infernals is just, you know, totally out of left field. So they've been a lot of fun to try and wrap my head around. Yeah, I, I feel like I missed the boat when Infernals came out. I was very, very close to pulling the trigger on it, but I, I ended up uh, not doing it. But I, I feel like it was a lost opportunity because every single time I see Infernals on the field, it just looks so much fun to go play. Yeah. But um, so you've been moving around and playing the game. Like what what is your experiences like as the edition has changed and, you know, for the past decade? Yeah, every, every time an edition changes, you it seems like the community gets a little bit nervous that they're going to change all the rules and models are going to get nerfed and everything. But I feel like the game just continually grows and gets healthier. You know, uh, it's definitely changing. Steamroller changes all the time. Factions get split up. We get theme forces and stuff like that. But I've stayed engaged with it uh, the whole time, uh, 13 years, I guess. And Mark IV is, is new and exciting. It was scary at first. Uh, units teleporting around and stuff, but it feels natural at this point. Um, and I hope we can glide along on on mark four for a while but if uh when and if mark five comes around i'm i'm ready for it i'm excited to see what comes next <laughs> well with that i mean you said you're in new york right now how about you go ahead and talk about the area like what was like when you moved in were you or, or moved into the area was it easy to find a war machine group or do you where you met with challenges uh yeah i think i had just jumped onto some facebook or discord groups and said hey is anyone around the the albany area and Got a few bites. There were some former players who helped get me in contact with uh, small communities that are up and running here and, and figured out where some game stores were. And yeah, it seems like there were some some refugees from, from Mark III uh, who were kind of hanging around waiting to see if the how the dust was going to settle. And uh, my, my main play group now was just formerly just two guys who kind of played each other on and off. Um, so I joined in on our, our 
Meta grew by, you know, for 50%. <laughs> and, and since then, we've had some kind of uh, little flickers of, of other people expressing interest. We just had a former press ganger this week kind of pop his head out of the shadows. And seems like he's getting interested in brine blood. So we're, we're small, but growing quickly at this rate, at least. All right, cool. Well, that's great. And then, all right, so were you taking on the role of like the main person who's kind of like organizing this? Because you, you, I mean, you're talking about these two gentlemen that you're now playing at a, at a uh, public location. Like, what, what do you, what have you been doing? Yeah, there's there's two game stores in the the greater capital region area, I guess. Uh, they're both called Flipside Games. There's one in East Greenbrook, Greenbush, which is south of Albany, um, and then another one closer to me in Clifton Park. Same store. Uh, I guess it's probably just a franchise. It's got two locations, and I've played at both of them. It kind of just depends on who wants to, to make a longer drive, but um, they've got tables, they've got space, they've got terrain. Um, so we just kind of bounce back and forth between those. And uh, yeah, and then I'm looking to travel. We, uh, Me and one of the other guys are heading out to Syracuse tomorrow uh, for an event that they've got out there. Um, and I was out at the, the Sussy Scuff uh, back in October, I think. So I'm happy to play, you know, locally with my, my little meta, but also looking to travel. I'm happy to drive a few hours and get into some bigger events too no that's great that's wonderful and i'm glad that you end up uh joining up with a susquehanna scuffle didn't have the opportunity to to really meet everybody who was in up playing were you playing infernals there as well no that was uh that was my last hurrah of uh rounding out cricks before picking up the infernals and trying to figure out how essence and all that stuff works um so gotcha gotcha okay cool wonderful well then i guess my question here is that if you have any of these other press gangers or mark two players maybe even some mark three players are interested in getting you know their feet back into mark four uh, tell us about where or, or what times did you play at each of these flip side gamings and get in contact with your group yeah the main kind of source of communication we've got is uh, we have a discord channel um i don't know if you can just find them it's called capital region war machine uh if people can get into that discord uh we've got a you know channel for organizing game nights and you know come in introduce yourself and uh, we've been playing kind of every other Wednesday, but uh, we're not really set on days per se. And so there's there's flexibility there to accommodate, you know, what what's going to work for people. Your uh, your Discord is already up on the community site. So if you go and take a look, and if you go to the United States, go to the New York page, you will see that the Northeast U.S. Uh, Discord and Upstate New York, as well as information about Flipside Gaming, is already located there. Uh, is this your Crix, the uh, the one with the burnish, like the burnt umber red color? Uh, yeah, I think I posted a, a picture of, there's a Slayer maybe, yeah. Yeah, 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 man. That's awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for your time and appreciate you participating on the community spotlight. And again, we'll do our best to try to hit as many of you individuals that end up saying that, yes, you want to go ahead and share the great news of your group. And, you know, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get you. So, uh, Michael, thank you again for joining us on this community spotlight. And hopefully we'll catch you the next, next Sussy Scuff. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's go ahead and chat about, about the new Steamroller. What I thought would be good is that we kind of break this up into kind of three little sections. We can talk about, like, you know, what is the whole big deal about this Steamroller? Like, what is making this one different? We can then go and take a look at an in-depth kind of look at each one of the scenarios and give our thoughts about it. And then finally, we can kind of just say, like, you know, what, what Eric was talking about and saying what would this mean for TOs and EOs and what are maybe, like, the futures of this. 
So let's kind of start with this, and I'm going to actually pitch this over to Dan. Did you do organized play like Steamrollers for the longest time, even before Mark III? And then can you kind of give us a glimpse of what maybe those kind of Steamrollers look like? So we can kind of talk about the evolution of like how this has changed over time. So yes, so I've been doing Steamrollers for as long as I can uh, remember back to approximately 2011, maybe 2000, maybe like one month out of 2010. You know what I mean? And... I've seen most of the evolutions of the document in Mark II, and I've consistently played all through Mark III as well, now in Mark IV. So over the time, I've gone from seeing everything where an objective on the field was like a 50 millimeter base, but if your Warcaster was in within three inches of it, they could pick it up and place it within two of them. And it was really great for those control backline casters that could just you know, move this objective around to a safe place wherever they needed to. But, you know, it did weird things to the paradigm of the the game. Um, I saw the years where we had radial deployments. I've seen models picked from your, your sideboard or your specialists get deployed halfway through the game on the side, but it's only in one out of six scenarios. Like, I've seen a gambit of crazy stuff, and... The rise and fall of the neoprene zones and then neoprene terrain after that in in the Mark III era was really addition-defining for Mark III. And I think that it's interesting to see that now that we're having Mark IV come into its own, um, we're moving away from that section. I kind of wonder if um, the community is going to, or how the community is going to respond and what kind of new measuring devices and uh, you know neoprene stuff we're going to get this edition. Uh, I'm sure there's any number of crafty engineers out there that are looking to create the next big widget. So uh, I, I'm... I'm really excited to see what you guys come up with. Yeah. So if you weren't following or if you didn't see the, any of the new scenario elements, um, Mark III scenarios, which I think we're most familiar with, we had neoprene zones yeah, or just some kind of zone that represented like a 12 by 6 inch footprint or a 12 inch diameter circle. Uh, those were basically your control areas with you know certain models being able to score. And then you had your, your flags and objectives and the objectives were whether they gave you a benefit or not, or they were just uh, a, a point that you try to score by destroying your opponent's objective. And that's kind of what all of my Mark III experience was. And quite honestly, towards the end of it, I just kind of got tired of it. Just because, like, when looking at a narrative play or, or looking at a miniature game, I'm interested in the narrative aspect of it, and I don't know what the MacGuffin circle and rectangle is. I don't understand why I'm fighting for it. I just know that I need to fight for it. The flag, you know, you can end up representing it being, like, a point on the battlefield, what have you and stuff. But that's what we had, and now it's shifted, as you were saying, about these uh, 30, 40, 50, and even 20 millimeter uh, bases that are our control objectives at this point. So this is actually very, very different. Other changes, or I think huge changes that they've had, is that there's no longer the being up by five at the end of your turn, or I guess out of any, anybody's turn. It's being up by three at the end of your opponent's turn. So it's giving your opponents an opportunity to, to score back. And we got to go see these three scenarios, which uh, I, we'll, we'll link some images if you haven't seen them already. Did everybody want to kind of like talk a little bit about the direction that the steamroller is going? And I kind of want to start with Andy, if you don't mind. Like overall, like your first thoughts of the um, new steamroller, what do you think? Um, from a play perspective or from a uh, 
from a narrative perspective overall like i mean i already have like my notes down Mm -hmm. what i'd like thought about this but i'm interested in hearing like what you think because i know that you look at this as like this is the game of chess so (laughs) does it still kind of give you that chess aspect to it when you play yeah i mean first of all i i I really like the the scenario elements as like a, a player personal thing because they're kind of infinitely customizable um instead of the neoprene zones like you're saying you can kind of put anything on those bases and you can kind of make it your own so i see players going off the rails with that kind of thing and just making all kinds of objective markers that are weird and neat and eric is gonna have some weird grimkin shit i'm sure from a playing perspective there are a couple rules that feel dead in the game right now ambush being one of them i think with how spread out some of these scenarios are even if ambush is doesn't feel like a great rule right now, if you're a ranged model and some of these zones are within inches of the side of the board, I think ambush comes back into play like a lot. Uh, just from playing these uh, these scenarios, I mean, taking I've, I've been playing a little bit of Brian Bloods and these uh, these uh, boarding party are are generally I've got one unit ambushing off the side of the board and it's pretty effective. I was actually thinking the same thing with uh, Selena and her Nis hunters for Dawn Guard. So because that they're, I think it's their range 12 bow, power 10, but they have like CRA. So you can just park them off to the side and they can just take some pot shots. And, you know, if you have your infiltrate card, you can just end up sticking that on them. So you, um, if you have a gun, maybe you might be in range, you can walk over or you just stay there, get your point, but then you're going to go get peppered by this unit that might potentially score the zone. So I think ranged ambushing units are going to be very, very strong with that change. And I agree. With yeah. That. The other thing I've noticed is, I mean, in Mark four, a lot of your infantry is coming in more of a combined arms aspect. A lot of things that also that hit in melee also might have like a pistol of some kind. So there's a lot of like optional shooting. Legacy doesn't have a lot of that, so it can kind of feel really bad as like say if you're a protector player and you have no guns to speak of, you have to sit a unit off to the side somewhere away from the battles just scoring, and they can't really do anything. You're kind of it doesn't it doesn't feel great to do that. So. Um, I think with how spread out they are, there's there's some there's some Mark IV-iness to it that some of the legacy stuff might not feel as good playing on. Yeah. Hey, Erica, how about you? What are your thoughts on the um, overall change? Um, I think I had mentioned it at the start. So I think as for tournament organizers and those that run events, so that was kind of a... Um, a uh, scary thought for for me is like, oh, okay, so um, you know we spent uh, money to get these zones to play the past couple of years. It's like, okay, well, what does that look like in a Mark IV steamroller environment? Do we have to go and, and replace everything? So um, I think it's it's cool to have the players bring their own elements and the fact that we have the dimensions and measurements for it, like Andy uh, was alluding to earlier. Um, you know, people can customize what they want to bring. So um, thank you, PP, for that. <laughs> Uh, the other things I really like is I like uh, using your flag to be able to tag a terrain piece. I think that's uh, really fun and kind of changes up regardless what scenario you're playing. You're going to get something different every time. Um, I like the increase of terrain. I think at our store with Delaware War Machine, we've kind of made it a, a point to include additional terrain on the field. Definitely with the uh, lethality of guns in this in this edition and how units move. Uh, definitely line of sight blocking is is super important in this edition. So I think it was smart for um, the, the the terrain increase. Um, the things that I am not too sure about or I'm on the fence on is the moving scenario pieces and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later 
Um, I think it's, I don't know if it's gonna be too much for players, but I think having the scenario elements do different things depending on what scenario you're playing on may cause uh, confusion and um, not the execution of rules correctly. So I worry about that, like too many variables, right? So we're changing, um, you know, maybe it's too much. I'm, I'm not too sure. That's just um, a worry I have. I think I think like what you're what you're referring to is if we were to maybe for example, we had bunkers, right? We know that the rectangular zone is scored by your Warcaster, Battle Engine, and uh, a cohort model, right? But if like the rectangular zone in bunkers automatically gave you cover if you were inside of it versus the rectangular zone on spread the net did not. Yeah, or like, or not necessarily that, but like in sometimes this scenario element moves, other times it doesn't. So I think that might, that, that could be uh, confusing. The other thing I'm kind of wondering about is if this new steamroller packet is going to make things like structures relevant. Because, uh, I mean, we know we know the community, right? Like whenever we run anything, we always put it to a vote. Hey, guys, do you want to play the bunkers and guard towers as written or are they just obstructions? And I don't think we've run an event where we've played them as rules as written. Um so maybe with the flag tagging, but I do think that maybe the buildings need a little bit more um, revision or work before they'll be um, accepted on a grander scale uh, in, a, in a competitive format. I remember the situation with WTC was that it was about availability and that they needed to have it painted. I think that was a reason why like WTC... At least that's at least what I heard. I don't know. That was actually the, the correct. I don't know. I think the buildings, like the rules are uh, still divisive at, at that competitive play, especially for legacy armies. It's uh, that, you know, it could be a bit of a struggle on how to deal with these uh, buildings, especially since you have to. I mean, whenever I've played with them on average, I'm investing a heavy and a half to take one of them down. Yeah, I think they're closer than people think the, the structures. I just think they're generally just too durable. Like, I think they just need to be toned down their durability a little bit. And I think that would go a long mm -hmm, way. Mm -hmm. I agree. Dan, what about you? What are your thoughts on the new steamroller? I think there's a lot to like here. My first impressions are that the language that we've been used to for the current steamroller for so many years is probably going to be changed and changing. Sorry. And that's something we need to adapt to as a player base. Um, War Machine, one thing I love about it has a very codified, very structured uh, language model to it and specific words mean very specific things and the words that are not on the page are often as important as the ones that are um, so as a community we're going to get really like a lot more familiar with uh, the tactics of moving something toward but not directly toward you know an opponent's board edge in the case of these um, objectives that we're moving up and down the field as Erica had um, mentioned. Um, I think that uh, I'm excited to see what this does for the pacing of the game because there were a lot of early criticisms about Mark IV that, that saw some people talking about there's like a flashpoint moment where turn two or three, um, you know, you throw oil and fire in the pan and everything explodes and then there's like two more turns after that where both armies are just kind of limping away from the fight. Um, I'm hoping that the positioning of some of these scenario elements as they change and as they can be moved around the board by players um, will change some of that and adjust you know, the pace at which conflicts happen across a more protracted game. Um, I'm not saying I want to play every game for you know two hours straight exactly, but 
it would be nice to see more um, tactics and strategies develop that require you to have longevity built into your army. Um, I think that's something that many lists don't consider these days, and I'd be interested to see if that crops up more. I'd also like to see if this helps address some of the first player syndrome, where the positioning of flags or um, you know friendly objectives that can move around and things like that can help the second player score things safely enough that they don't get pushed out of scenarios. Um, and there's a lot of thing dials they can turn and adjustments they can make in that area um, to help massage that and and make it uh, a little bit more palatable. Um, and finally, I always had this like huge anxiety about accidentally losing five to zero on a scenario at the bottom of turn two. And the new scoring paradigm where a player may only win at the end of the opponent's turn, if they're still ahead by three, is huge for me. And I'm really excited to see how that changes the game and alleviates some of the pressure of trying to contest scenario elements while not losing your entire army in the process. I'm a little torn on that last point because, I mean, when it comes to the those big scenario wins, like it's had to, I've had to change the way I play a lot because attrition-wise, you can go balls to the wall to try and score a lot of points in this packet, but if you go too far and you just give up on attrition and your opponent can kind of just clap back and say, okay, I can do enough not to lose on scenario, you basically lose the game because you went too hard trying to win on scenario too early. So I feel like slow playing scenario is going to become a, a bigger strategy than those 5-0 victories. Yeah, and I like to see that because that forces more interaction between players and models yeah. over a longer period of time. You don't have that big I win moment either where it's you end your turn, you've succeeded, you've pressed the button and you win. You kind of have to you don't you don't have that big moment anymore for scenario. Right, but what you do get is the uh, evil villain syndrome where someone ends their turn and goes, "Mwahaha, I'm up by more than 3 points. Let's see if you can defeat me." had my fair share of being scored five points on one turn where we had games of mirage and i even think maybe spread the net or king of the hill or something like that where it's just you know you played sloppy or you 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 made a miscalculation like oh okay cool that that's fun so i i like the idea about being able to react to at least stay into the game and andy you and i can talk about one of our games later on but at least for some of the main things, I like the the scoreable terrain. I think the change of flags into scoreable terrain is pretty neat, specifically from a table design. And, and this is where my thought goes with it. Uh, what is it? What is it? Five inches? Four inches? What What is the distance that the terrain has to be? It's five inches. Okay. So, like, you might have a flag located on a table that there's only one piece of terrain that's within five inches and guess what it's towards your opponent then you would you would you would just keep it as the flag then you wouldn't yeah players have the option of not selecting a terrain feature um if there are no valid terrain tree features within five inches of the flag as it's listed on your scenario map um then the flag does not move but even if there are um points within five i think the player has the option of just leaving the flag where it lies and they don't have to select a terrain feature so if the flag itself is in a more advantageous position go nuts i think you leave it as a small obstacle or something like that okay but then all right so then i missed that so oops but 
it still kind of goes back to my other point where it's that okay so it's either going to be that one that one option that's closer to your opponent then you just keep it as your flag versus the other side you had the opportunity of pulling it back towards you so it's easier to be protected and what i just like about that is that it actually is going to go and make that decision of who's going to be first player and then who's going to be um, second player to choose sides right so i think that that's very compelling as an opportunity to really engage in the game as well as for tos to really be able to flex their muscles and being able to make some very dynamic maps. i'm always in, hey guys, in favor I'm just of... rereading that section on flags and i think we got it wrong did we so it is compulsory if a scenario has a flag marked before deployment starting with player one choose a piece of terrain within five of the 20 millimeter flag there is no may in that sentence so you must select a terrain feature it could in fact be disadvantageous if the only valid terrain feature within five of your flag is toward your opponent makes it much easier for them to contest and harder for you to score safely yeah that's scary regardless though what i'm saying is that you're really gonna have to go pay attention to your sides and it's not just like eh, i want to stay over here like no you might actually want to go over to the other side so that way you have a better chance of being able to you know keep your your flag safe at that point so i think there's a bit of awkwardness about this getting to the table and putting your stuff on the, the field now um the way i see the the order of operations is i i set up you know next to my or across from my opponent right we discuss our armies and we look at the terrain on the board um but since i've brought my as andy said infinitely customizable scenario elements I want to use them on my side of the field, right? So how do I go and set up the terrain to determine, or set up my objectives to try and determine if I want one side of the board or the other when that dice roll happens? Because if I choose to go second, or if I've lost the roll and I'm, I'm going second, um, and I say I want to be on the other side of the board, but all of my scenario objectives have just been deployed on this side because I happen to be standing here. Now I have to pick those up move over there, remeasure, because I want my stuff on my side of the board, because they're cool and they look like my army guard, gosh darn it. This, this from an event organizer or TO perspective, could be a negative. I, I'm wondering if we are going to get, like, tiny little bases just to leave on every table. And then these are the things that you just throw out there, here's some red ones, here's some blue ones, and then when you've decided your table sides, then you can put your little objectives on top of them. I, I mean, I agree with you that it could become a problem, between players but i think it just has to be worked out between players if worst case scenario is you deploy your objectives and then you switch them up yeah it's it's just another consideration in the few minutes that you have to decide your list you know before i think i think it's still uh net faster because we see now with the current scenario packet and with players like either leaving their models on the table at least with this it's like take everything off like if i'm coming to the table to play i'm probably not putting my scenario elements out there until i know what side of the table i'm playing on because it's going to be like eventually after playing these scenarios we're going to get used to like roughly the measurements of like oh, okay this is roughly where the flag is going to go this is roughly where the cache is going to go where we'll be able to, to come to a table look at it and be like oh, okay like this side would be more advantageous to me or we could just have our own 20 millimeter widgets and you just put your 20 millimeter widget on and be like, okay, that's where these are. What does it look like over on that side? Or just set up it up, have your your flags there. Okay, this flag stays still and that flag's going to be a wall back there. I'm going to go choose that side. I'm going to go throw my flag over here, like remeasure your flag. I don't think, I think, I think we're turning into a bigger issue than it really yeah, is. Yeah, I agree. I think, but just leave it between the players. I mean, as a TO yeah. for current Steamroller, it's 
you know, you're trusting your players to set up the new scenario after they're done their game, and as people who run the game, that y'all don't always do a couple that. tables that aren't set yeah, up for the next yeah. round. <laughs> so just having it be regimented that you're carrying your scenario from table to table and you're setting it up at the beginning of your game, it kind of regiments that, that it's always going to be the same. Instead of, you know, yeah. sometimes you'll come to that table, and it's like, oops, somebody didn't set up this scenario, so you, you have a disadvantage of an extra five minutes between everybody else. Yeah. Now, there's there's one other thing that I think we already talked about the moving elements as like being uh, something drawing work. Or at least, Erica, you mentioned that which one do they move and other ones that they don't move. I won't say it's an issue that I have, but a challenge is that I can't big brain like plays like this. And I feel like there's going to be some really highly competitive players. They're going to be able to move scenario elements in a way to set them up way better for positioning. That's going to be beyond me. And like moving something in a specific direction to block like a landing spot for like a heavy or some contesting model or, you know, one that can maybe like attrition you because it's not going to be able to land in the spot to go and engage with your model. Yeah, this brings up Dan's point earlier too, where it's you. So some of these scenarios are you move something towards your opponent's backline, right? But the letter of the law says you could move that two and a half inches laterally and a half inch forward and that's towards your opponent's backline so you could just be taking that to the side of the board basically or towards the center where you can contest it more easily like it's uh the other uh, the moving the moving scenario elements are are hard for me just because like there's so many more pieces on the board that that can can get in the way like if you have a full unit in front of it like how does it interact with the unit does it go does it move straight through them does it land on top of them and now you have rule of least disturbance like how do i don't i don't I don't know how clearly that's spelled out. All right. so we're, 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 we'll talk about yeeting the objectives up. I think we I think we've already talked about our our, our thoughts about this. So, what do you guys think about just talking about? Um, unless anybody has any other final things, you want to just talk about each one of the scenarios and give our thoughts about it. So the first one was Recon Mark IV. So Recon Mark IV has two caches. If you didn't know, cache is a twenty millimeter objective that is scorable once it's like a box that you pick up so you pick up the box you score it once and it's it's basically like an objective instead of destroying it like an objective that we're thinking about it's an objective that you're picking up and then you just score for the turn and it's good and i think you have to sacrifice your uh, your combat action so you can't just run up and pick it up you have to actually have like to have a model walk on up in there to pick it up which is pretty cool. Can I jump in real quick about caches? Yeah, sure. So yeah, you're right about the scoring mechanics there. And I think that there's some really interesting and unique interactions with movement in War Machine for these caches. So one thing is that units are incredible at scoring caches because you can move one guy, place someone else, and then that other guy that got placed next to the cache can forfeit his combat action and score something. But to counteract that, there's another interesting thing. To sacrifice your combat action, you can't charge. So if a unit were to charge and then a guy gets placed next to it, he's already used both his movement and combat action as part of his charge. He will not be able to score the cash. And that's what I'm talking about when it comes to things like the codified language in this document. A lot of these changes are going to be really, really subtle. And they're going to take a lot of time for us to you know, swallow these pills. Yeah, I certainly felt very smooth brain trying to... Uh trying to sort through this packet, I had to read it at least five or six times before I like felt like I understood yeah. what the hell was going and on. that exposure to the language is going to be very important, I think. I recommend anyone keen on playing this, read it several times. And then when you think you got it, read it again. Because <laughs> yeah, we, right. we still don't got it. We're still making mistakes currently during this cast. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right, so we got that. We got two flags. We already talked about the flags, and then you got two objectives. They look like they are thirty mil, and the thirty mils are scored by solos and leaders, right? That's how they work. I, I remember fifty fifties are the big are, are your jacks, forties are your units, and thirties are solos. Yeah, this is yeah. by far and the simplest scenario. Um, I, yeah. I I think it's a little dead. I it doesn't it doesn't jump out at yeah. me. Like looking at it, I'm not really super enthusiastic. It just I mean, think about it. So it compare it to something like Spread the Net that also looks something like this. Spread the Net has mm -hmm. a circle zone, bunkers. two like rectangles, bunkers. and two flags, as well as two objectives. Like, after the caches go, there's only four scorable pieces in this entire board. There's there's not a yeah, lot. Yeah, but I mean, what, Dan's, what Dan just said, it, it's kind of like bunkers. We're, we're still and, in scenario uh, It's like bunkers. Right? Yeah. yeah. Where's the cache? Is that the, the cache square? Is the square? Yeah, it's the square. Yeah, it's oh the square. my god. That's another thing so we have like to get used to. That it, they put new symbols on these maps. I'm I'm lost, <laughs> completely lost. <laughs> At least triangles are still triangles. It was always <laughs> triangles. Yeah, right? I think uh, Andy flags. and I. At least flags are still triangles. <laughs> Andy and I, we've we've played this one a few times now, and I don't think anyone's won from score. I think we've either killed each other or we've been to like all the way to the end of the game and had to calculate scoring. Yeah, this feels like a bunker scenario where everyone's kind of passively scoring their own stuff. And then, you know, once in a while, someone's going to squeak one guy in to contest and then it'll maybe shift the game. But you're right. I don't think you're going to see any scoring blowouts in this kind of uh, scenario if yeah, the, both of the players are you know on the same wavelength and understand everything that's going on. Yeah, and the way that works now is like, oh, I contested your zone. You didn't contest mine. Now I'm up by one. Okay, if I do that and trick you two more times, and then you don't do it again, and we get to before turn seven, maybe I'll win on scenario. It's like it's that's a, it's a big ass to win on scenario on this one, I think. I know, but I think that's uh, the best part about this is because it is uh, going to be good at forcing that protracted battle that we were talking about, knowing that it's going to be difficult to maintain and and capture a scenario win means that you need to have an eye on what pieces you're preserving towards the end of the fight and the end of the game and how, how you can leverage different parts of your army um, to perform different roles and like rotate them forward and start to apply support units to uh, engagements and things. And this uh, is going to be really this, important. This scenario to me is whoever wins on attrition wins the scenario, essentially that. like that's, that's the only way you can actually win on scenario on this one is if you decimate your opponent's army to the point where they just can't yeah. be on the board anymore the other thing i'm also seeing is that because of how scoring is working now is that maybe gun lines might have a little bit an easier time playing the game because now like since like if you go take a look right it, it seems a little wide and normally your gun lanes would like to sit back and shoot at everything so they can probably shoot at the opponent's 30 mil like solos that are keep on trying to score maybe until they throw the warcaster up there and then you know you may not be able to shoot them off or possibly you could just do like a range assassination at that point but i i think that something like this you're you're right it's going to be a relatively slow game until somebody makes a mistake and then ends up getting shot up on the board because at most you're only going to be probably scoring two points a turn maybe three if you end up getting the cash but then you know your opponent is probably going to be able to prevent you yeah you have you have one turn of maybe three and if you're scoring three at any point, and not when you're not doing the cash, you've probably won the game. Well, let's go look at one that's a little bit more exciting. So the battle lines. So the battle lines has a one where, uh, what do we got here? We got uh, two thirty objectives, two forty objectives, and then the two flags. So your the the neat thing about this is that it says at the end of each scoring turn, that turn's player must choose and move one of any player's objectives three inches towards again it's not directly towards but towards their opponent's table edge 
you may not choose the same objective your opponent chooses the previous turn. So the idea, what is this, is that I can push, so if I'm player one, I can push the the player two's 40 mil three inches towards me? No, the opposite. No, the opposite, you to push towards your opponent. towards them. It's always pushing okay, so, away from you. Okay, so then I'm pushing their 40 away from them? Yeah, the... yeah, so what I see happening here is you trying to push any uh, one of the objective. I might even push my friendly objective maybe closer to the middle of my board so that way the the support solo that I threw out there last turn to s capture it can now move closer into my army, support my army, and capture the element. I might try to centralize my things while pushing my opponent's things away from each other and decentralizing his army. You could even do the opposite. If, say, you have like a stealth, a cheap stealth solo on that 30 mil towards the edge, you just push it towards the edge of the board and make your opponent try and come get you if they want to contest that, that, um, yep. that on your own friendly objective. Like, you're just pushing that. You're, you're just stretching the board at that point. If that first scenario was our neutral palate cleanser, this is the dish that brings the spice. Because now we're seeing the big brain plays that Paul was talking about with moving these objectives around. Yeah, there are there are at all times six things to score on the table at all times. Did you, like, would anything ever happen if you were to push the objective? Because it says three inches towards. So let's say if I push this 40 three inches towards player two's deployment. And let's say that there is a heavy or some model directly like on top of that. Am I just moving it then three inches anyway in that direction for it to find a legal landing spot? This is what I'm not sure of. I don't know how this interacts with models on the board. Like if there, if you say I push this three inches and there's no legal landing spot for for this objective, I don't know how that works. I don't know if the packet it's, clarifies that. It's actually written that on the first page. Um, this is why I'm smooth-brained. So a... <clears throat> where is it um if a scenario calls for the objective to move the objective ignores models and terrain when doing so as long as it has the movement to move completely past any model or obstacle that would prevent its final placement but okay so what if what if it what if you have enough pieces that prevent its final placement so you, then it say cannot you, move through them. Yeah, so and say must, I choose to push this... through before moving. Yeah, so say I push. I choose to push this objective three inches. It can go nowhere. Does it, it, does it, still, nowhere. Does it still count as being pushed? I would say yes. Yeah, I would say um, yes, because too. Because a model, a model can get pushed... If a model is pushed up to an inch, but it only gets pushed, like, the, tiny fraction is, the, the tiniest fraction of an inch because there's something behind it, uh, it still counts as being pushed. I'm worried if you were to use the rule of like least disturbance with the objective being the primary piece, I could see that being extremely exploitative. Like yeah, you if can, you're you pushing goofy, other like, weird charge angles uh, off of that, and that, in that a world me. with TK and all kinds of pools, like I could see people exploiting a rule like that to push an opponent's piece. Yeah, in additional, I in, gen I in general, I don't want the objectives to to interact with with models, so I'm I'm glad that that clause is in there. Thanks, Dan. I, I agree, and and I like this version of that interaction. To be honest with you guys, I think the rule of least disturbance is my least favorite rule in the entire rulebook, and it has been ever since I've ever... 2010. Um, it's No one can ever remember how it works, and the awkwardness of having to shove a bunch of well-painted models you know, off to the side and... And then like rotate this one so that fits down in there, and like it's just the worst. But we like using I throw power attacks, Dan. Come on. 
That's right, I do. Well, I'll say it. Throw's a terrible now. That's, I, I do the throw power attack, and then I just go dodge. Yeah, the fact that throws can only, you cannot target anything, throws have to go directly away, is makes throws a lot less. And it's less. D6, it's not even that. Sometimes right. you roll but, a 1 or a 2, yeah. and it don't mm-hmm. matter. Is that mm-hmm. a, I really prefer the type of movement and interaction where um, a model that is moving should never be able to, like, overlap or interfere with a model that is stationary that is the way you get the cleanest game state when you're playing for things yeah i, I like the visual of a, of a big old heavy going bowling and bowling another heavy through a unit that, that's funny to me i enjoy that mm-hmm. yeah i think that that needs to be in the game um but as if we can make it as rare as possible for those like really stylistic moments, I think that's where it would thrive a little bit better. I think this yeah, is we're getting as a, written. We're getting a little off clean, topic on the uh, scenario. Like yeah. Okay. All right. So you want to chat about wolves that are heroes, where this is the most. This is the most involved. Yeah. This one has a very all. special rule attached to it that I I really this like the, the idea. I just don't know how. Like I've only played this a handful of times, so I don't know how this is gonna. End up, end up at and the end. This is the one that I've seen the most players make the most mistakes about so far. I'm yeah. one of those players. Yeah. <laughs> I I had so much fun with this one. All right, so it's the 250s. So those are your warjacks, 240s, which are your units, and then the two caches. As for the the warjacks ones, the 50s are located in the middle. So you're trying to get your battle group there in the middle, while you have a unit off to the side. Now what's happening is that if you score the 40 mil, whoever scores it, it moves. It says three inches. What does it say? It says uh, moves three inches towards the... So not directly towards, but towards the opponent's edge. Okay, the wording of this is weird. At the end of the scoring turn, when a player controls either 40 millimeter objective after scoring victory points, uh, that... Wait, uh, what was this? It was... Uh, so where am I reading at? Basically if player, what oh, wait, if the player's 40 millimeter objective is closer to their opponent's board edge than their opponent's 40 millimeter objective is from the player's board edge, at the end of the second player's fourth turn, they score three victory points. Yeah, that's... It, it is a lot. Yeah. Let's just let's just recap real quick. There are three things that you can score in this scenario, but only two of them are alive on most turns of the game. The first one is scoring a zone slash objective, right? Score the 50 millimeter items, score the 40 millimeter items. Okay. The second one is you can once you can capture that cache, right? You capture your opponent's cache that scores you one point. And the third bullet point you can score is only available precisely at the end of the third turn says is it fourth turn zooming in fourth second player's fourth turn is precisely available at the end of the second player's fourth turn and that's it so most of the time you're just fighting over these zones but that last bullet point is worth three points instead of one so you want to be the person to win that race the biggest mistake i've seen and i've committed so far on this is if you're say you're the second player and say you score bottom of two and you must move that 40 mil zone up and you yeet it's it so away. easy yeah, yeah it's so it easy to not score scored. it on your opponent's turn if they can't contest it like you just you, it, <laughs> it just leaves you yep. and now you're like oops andy, <laughs> no andy and i played a game you had your you had your your avengers and i had my ulker axes they just threw the objective 40 inches they just looked at it like oh we f-ed up. cool i guess we'll get there next <laughs> turn sorry all right bye <laughs> 
but so i guess like for me it's the wording of just how that works is if you're closer to your opponent's edge than they are to yours it's just it feels all very very busy for just saying measure the 40 mil from the player's side whosoever's is longer is these 40 mils are very awkward because here's how you want to do this you want to put your entire unit in front further from further from the 40 mil than you so that you can score next turn if your opponent can't contest it right however you're getting in the objectives way and you're limiting where it can be so you have to be really careful you want you want to put all of your models in the way because they all have to be your whole unit has to be within three inches of where you're going to put the objective but now you have almost nowhere to put your objective if you put a full unit in front there, of it. There's, yeah, and so, you, they all have to be within two inches. So two ways that three. I think we've seen this. Three ways? No, three inches. Three, Scoring is three, three It's three inches. Okay. It's two inches okay, okay, for the flags. Uh, it's okay, only two inches for flags. Two this inches. is hard. <laughs> three inches. This is so hard. Yeah. Three inches for the 40 is that the, the two ways that I found this is that you, you make like a conga line where you put like two yes. guys on one one like vertical and three guys on the other and they're just like they're 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 passing it forward right that will get you two turns in a row or when andy says that you put them in front of the objective all within three inches and then you get a legal landing spot so that it's they're all going to be within three inches when it moves it just feels so janky and metagamey to try and like get this all to work it just doesn't (laughs) i don't think it's it's even i just love yeeting up the objective i don't think it's even that difficult you can score it twice in a row with just the same unit, pretty easily. Um, mm-hmm. What you want to try and do is, say you have a unit of three guys, like the uh, Winter Core Arcanus. They're going to be my backline support unit. They're going to be back here off in the corner, powering up my jacks and scoring this thing. Um, if you put the back guy touching the objective and the two other guys directly in front of him, when that thing moves straight forward three inches, it will have not left uh, a three-inch radius from the guy in the back that was previously base to base with it he can rescore and so can the other two guys in the unit dan i'm not sure so, whether you're aware of this but i'm playing brian bloods now so i have six man medium base units sucks to five be man, you five, five man five man <laughs> six man they are all right. they all have attachments so, paul this is one of the other oh, things that i thought was going to change army composition i'm really curious to see what this does to uh change up what people are considering bringing in their armies um as as you had said maybe i need those small base guys now instead of the medium base unit in order to make sure I can more easily score some of these finicky elements. Yeah, it just, it does not feel, this this particular scenario feels really, really finicky. Like, it, it just feels very metagamey to try and make these 40 mils work and so, get up the board efficiently. So here's a question for the panel. Um, so I think we can uh, safely say, or uh, that we've, we've all been on the receiving end of this. Thank you, Rick. So infantry, like sumo push lists, do you think these scenarios help deal with some of the issues we're seeing with, um, you know, let's, your opponent just flooding the board with dudes, especially if they get to go first? I think recon does. Oh, um, before we get off Wolves of the Heels, I'm sorry, Erica, but we also need to address there's one more uh, scoring thing. This is the scenario where um, it's like it's like there's an existential threat behind you, behind your army, and the kill box advances at the end of the first player's turn every turn. Um, hey, I forgot about player, that. Right? So, so it's like it's squeezing you into the middle of the board. Um, and I've seen a lot of people raise up arms about this, but I want to throw this out there. I feel like some players aren't considering the previous scenario packet wherein you'd you'd start on either end of the field and then 
generally speaking, the game will end up rotating to the left or the right as the armies clash. And oftentimes your Warcaster is kind of up and onto the side of the board anyway. Um, this is effectively doing that, but it's a little bit more punishing to those, those casters that want to stay further back. So, so long as you have a, a constant mind towards, I need to be moving kind of up and diagonally to make sure that I'm still in this game, I'm not risking the kill box, I think this will feel a lot like it has felt before, and we won't see too many players after the first tournament or so getting caught by this mechanic. Yeah, I think the I think the kill box mechanic of this is is relatively benign. Like you, you it has to be in your head, but it's not um it's not something that's game breaking. And like you said, Dan, it's it's encouraging you to f to flip the board, which is very doable as long as you're doing it with your whole army and not just eating your caster up the board. <laughs> um, okay, so back to the Erica's question, right? About um, uh, I'm sorry, teacher. What was the question? <laughs> The the infantry sumo push list that um, right. can be very I difficult. Think, I think for this scenario, Wolves at Your Heels, is very vulnerable to that. I think if your opponent makes it so that you can never move your 40 mil by choking you off the scenario and you're not able to contest theirs, I think they can push you off scenario by turn four. Can't be by turn two, at least. So it gets you a chance to play the game and chew through their army. So. This is where this is where I go back to what you were saying with ambushing, where because it's eight inches off, and again going off with your Selena's or your your pig boarding party, I really do see that these ambushing models are probably going to be in a lot more lists. And I'm even thinking like my Reaver skirmishers, like I don't use them, I don't like to use them, I don't think that they've been compelling to use, but they might actually be somewhat useful in this like now in this oh, world yeah, if you can get a whole unit where... to tie up a whole bunch of dudes that are in that 40 mil that are trying to push yeah. that 40 mil forward now that whole plan is out the window until they can clear that up again so mm -hmm. another yeah thing i mean is... like that's thing they could just be there as like bodies that you have to clear up or they can just be there as in like okay you can't deal with me but if you want to move your guys up that three inches so that it moves up or you know what i mean like now you're going to be in charge range and i'm going to go and deal with you so Good job. I think that you have a good point about ambush. I'm not sure how effective they're going to be um, in the grand scheme of things, but it's certainly valid to put three to four points of your army points dedicated towards on one of these six scenarios in this packet. I'm going to have a three point unit that slows down this 40 millimeter on my opponent's end and lets me score those four three points on turn four. I think they're good on battle lines, too. If that's too. all they do, they will have paid for their points, in my opinion. I think they're good on battle lines, too. That four, that 40 mil unit scorable is only nine inches from the edge. So you're going to have pieces that are going to be really close to ambush range that are going to be vulnerable on those sides. I agree. I'm just saying that I don't think they even need to kill something to make it worthwhile in this new packet. Depending on how long they survive, the yeah. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I'd, I'd like to point out earlier, because Erica used the example of, you know, Rick's army. Um, I think he runs, like, uh, it's like two storm blades and three storm guard, right? He's got five units, but those are all workhorse melee units. And if he has to take one of those and sit them way back on that 40 mil, that takes a lot of the pressure off of that side of the board. I and think he, I think he switched I, can... I think he's got six units, and I think one of those units is the spray guys. Okay, well... You know, regardless, it may force the Signar players to put the spray guys in if they hadn't before, because now they'll want something that has a ranged attack and can sit back there. Oh no, or, spray 14 or is my favorite. they're risking pulling things away from their front lines, you know, just to be scoring. And that's not an efficient use of your 
seven point you know melee unit. Yeah, I'm just interested to see what units are going to be or what models are going to be more used now. I mean, like I'm thinking like of my Ultra Barragers or just throwing like one of my heavies with the AOE guns just in an area just so that way you can kind of take out the uh, people. From yeah, the there does seem to be a theme yeah, like there, with the Mark IV armies where the, the 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 heavier units that are heavier shooting tend to be very short range mm-hmm. shooting. Like your Ultra Barragers are what like only range ten. 12s. So, like, maybe they have a use where they don't have to be shooting every turn, but they're only a three-man unit, I think, right? And yep. so they can score off to the side pretty easily, and if somebody does come in, they can they can start shooting, I guess. They can start blasting yeah. them. Yeah, because they got they can actually hit something. They stay still. <laughs> no, I I don't know. I I like the direction. I mean, just like with these three little three little images, these the the it's a taste of seeing things. Right, we're seeing things we've never seen before. We haven't I haven't seen scenario elements moving i haven't seen a kill box shrinking while actually playing like just the, the those two things i think they're trying a lot of new things which is really nice and it's a palette cleanser as you know from erica was saying earlier just the the flat neoprene zones it, this is a welcome change um it's very different it's very jarring but like it, it's good i like this is what i yeah, want from a personal you know, from a personal level i can't tell like I, it feels overly complex to me, but that might just be the newness of it. Like I can't, I can't, I I need more reps to figure out like whether this is actually like overly, um, overly complex compared to what we're used to. Yeah, and then there's one other thing, one point that I, I wrote this down, but this kind of doesn't really apply anywhere. But if you go take a look at all three of the scenarios, it's all they're all mirrors, right? You can see the 50s and the 40s, you know, mirroring each other, the 40s and 30s mirroring each other, right? I'm I'm just wondering what other options are there where, um, and this kind of will actually segue into like the, the scenario sets, but it's like, what if you have a scenario where it's like, there's two 50s on one board edge and two 30s on another board edge, you know what I mean? And like, you can, you can decide which board edge you want depending on what you want yeah the asymmetric board so we see a little bit of that design in the black tide uh series so i think we've actually done a couple battle reports and pete or pete and rick did one and pete had an extra he was the defending and went second and he had an extra um scenario piece on his side to protect that gave him um you know an easier thing to score that rick didn't have on his side of the table i i i like that asymmetric design um because then it's you know go first or or take side or maybe you tailor a list to be more defensive um i think you have to be very really careful with those types of mechanics though i think um it's like it's such a slippery slope giving the second player an extra thing to score um can yes alleviate some of that first player syndrome but it can really quickly unbalance the um, the second player's advantage as well. I think. Yeah, I agree. If you, if I mean, you... It, it, it's 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 a dial that you have to kind of key yeah, on. Go ahead no, no, I, I agree with Dan in that in that if you make it too easy for the second player, the the choice never becomes to pl- to pick first in that scenario, and you don't want that. But I do really like the idea of these uh, asymmetric scenarios. I'm hoping we see more we see more of those ideas in the uh, in the next set of the of uh of scenarios yeah what i wouldn't mind seeing for asymmetry is to have the first player's objectives be pushed further forward towards the center of the board and the second player's objectives reined in a little so that they're easier for the second player to score while having to acquire less board space i think that and yet keeping the amount of scoring available to both players even um at least at the start of the game is 
maybe a better way to accommodate that because it's still fair. You know, if we stay on our side, so to speak, we can still get the same number of points. But as first player, I have to push a little bit harder to get to those points. I like Paul's and idea. As a second player. I like Paul's idea, too, of the variety of uh, different objective zones can be sort of like you got 250 mils on one side or 230 mils on the other side, and you get to choose which one is more advantageous to you. Say you don't have a lot of scorable solos, and you really want those 50 mils. Add, add another element to it. If you score the opposite side, you get, like, extra points. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, it forces yeah. you... No, but I mean, like, you know, that'd actually be kind of cool. It's like, you're, you're, are you going to hunker down with your warjacks and play the long game? Or are you going to go and try to bum rush with units and try to you know, get the score on the other side. I don't know. Like, yeah, it just, yeah the fact it, is, I think that'd right. be there. Now that everything is color coded, like I have my objectives and you have your objectives. You could easily put in like uh, after turn four or turn four and onwards scoring your opponent's objective is worth two points instead of one. Like, you know, things get really escalated at the end of the fight or something. I like that There's idea a lot. Actually, they could change. It's just, it, I mean, you're, you're forcing things to happen. It makes people list build in a different way. And I think what'd be cool about it is like, okay, so this list, you know, of my list pair, this one is designed to hunker down on, you know, bunkers Mark four, or this is designed in order to weather the storm to get up on bunkers four. you know? And it just, yeah. I, I think it would, it would really make some very interesting list. But again, I'm not a game designer. I don't, I have no idea if that would even work or not. I'm just like spitballing ideas, but this actually brings me up to one other point. And this actually gets us to our third part about, I guess, getting the stuff and TOs and EOs and stuff. So from what we've seen is that you have the cash and you have the flag, which are two twenties, and you got a thirty forty and a fifty. The intent is that, and 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 I know the Brian Blood scenario said they had them at what like Gen Con. Um, I know we had them at Nova. I think Tony is having them uh, for his Pax Unplugged thing. Um, are are these? Is the intent that we're going to be having these ourselves, or is it that the TOs and EOs are going to be... Because has there been any guidance on that? I think you were saying that it's it's going to be on us, right? But then where I'm getting at is, well, what if we play a scenario with 350 mils? Who supplies that? Do I have to go and supply my own now? I don't, or, I don't think know, that would be a thing if it's a set. Like, so if a set comes with one of each and a cash and a 20, I don't, like, I don't foresee that. I just I don't know because this is where you can get the stuff and obviously these these sets that are available at these conventions are matching the scenario set so I'm guessing that's the direction that they're going I guess where I'm getting at is that okay you get one set but then if they if they want to explore other steamrollers and have more caches or have more flags well you're gonna have to get an additional or set you just then. use a penny you know what I mean <laughs> I'm saying like you just proxy it. I mean, I don't think it's that. It's true. I don't think it's, it's, it's that difficult to, um, you know, respond to a change like that. Yeah, with uh, with is a penny twenty millimeters in diameter? Pretty sure it is. Google it. I would. I swear to God, if America today, used a twenty millimeter coin, I'm be like, what the hell? What are we doing, guys? <laughs> We've we already died on this hill. Why are we going millimeters on a penny? Hold on. What, how, what's the size of a penny? Isn't it twenty millimeters? I don't know. It's like Dan's poker chips that are like just right at forty Man millimeters. Man of War poker chips, that's right. <laughs> Perfect. I don't, I don't play with models anymore. I'm just a bunch of orange circles. Yeah, pennies board. are twenty millimeters. That's uh, crazy. It is nineteen point oh five millimeters. All right, whatever. You just round that well, shit up. It's all right. Like... You've, you've heard it here first, folks. <laughs> the United States has finally found a use for its penny. Yeah, there's no, there's no good <laughs> measurement. It's about three quarters of an inch. Like it's, yeah, it's about three quarters of an inch. <laughs> Standard deviation applies. Okay. It's a little smaller than 20 mils. <laughs> okay. 
Or use your barrel. Use anyway, your Donkey so with Kong January barrel. quickly approaching, I would have assumed that these would be like in the store already. So I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, with how with how quickly I, we're supposed to be getting a new scenario pack in the new year, I'm assuming. So yeah, that, that's normally how it goes. When is um? But wait. November thirteenth. It's three week. It's three weeks until December, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Seven weeks until the end of the year. I want to see that. Uh, I want to see that solicitation, man. How much of these scenario elements going to run me? <laughs> so I'm going to go look this up because I know that we were talking about this. Um, when's Captain Con? February. February. Like February. Early February. Okay, so yeah, February 2nd is February 4th because I know that that is that the first like War Machine convention that there's going to go be? Should be. Okay. I'm just like wondering if everybody will be able to have their, their stuff in time for that or if EOs or TOs are going to need a come up with a plan because you could easily repurpose your 30 40 and 50 millimeter models as these flags and bases if you really needed to um it's not you know it's not ideal it's not you know flavorful of like boxes of treasures and what have you i, I guess the other challenge is trying to find your 20 mils but i know it was on amazon i was able to find a bunch of like 20 mil bases that you're just able to go and buy and they have like packs of 25 so that's not an issue but it's definitely going to be like a challenge for however this ends up whatever the rollout of this is going to go and be i still think it's cool that they're offering a product specifically geared toward their organized play packet i think that's Mm -hmm. a smart idea because it helps the community um understand that this part of the game is available and accessible and it's a nice self-contained way for players to acquire their own supplies for playing in a tournament and helps alleviate some of the concerns of the event organizer in gathering their community together. Because our community has been hurting so much since the pandemic, it's helpful for us to do everything we can to alleviate the cost of entry to having a group of players play together. This is a step in the right direction. Um, Hopefully before long, we'll get something um, like like this in terrain. because I know that a lot of people talk about um, the terrain rules, terrain placement, terrain sizes. And there was some chatter on the internet about how how large the terrain was at the WTC. Um, and I, am, I didn't see anything about terrain in the parts of the packet that had been teased so far. But my... The thing I'm crossing my fingers for is having slightly more terrain recommended to players um, at the start of the game as well as having terrain be a bit more codified. Like, forests can only be so large, or a rough terrain template can only be so large, because I think that will help bring a lot of the organized play community into alignment with each other. And then we won't see players on the other side of the country having a drastically different experience than they do locally because of the differing types of terrain that get used. See, I feel exactly the opposite. I like that the that you can go you can go wildly differently sized for different types of terrain. Like I don't want there to be guard. Like I'm not I'm not at the highest level of you know sporting of this. So I know anything that makes rules standardized probably makes their lives easier. But I would much rather not have guardrails and be hemmed in by saying things can only be this shape or this size. I would rather it kind of be up to the players, and I'm I I would hope that there's different experiences in different places. I like that. I just don't want to see pockets where there's like no terrain on the field, or someone goes like, "All right, here's a 10-inch forest. It's in the middle of the 
in the middle of the game obscuring everything and no one can draw a line of sight to stuff that's your one defining terrain feature and there's a couple walls around it yeah but that's that's more on the to right like i would um you know think of like if, if that's what someone's doing to run events like that just sounds like a lazy way to run events where if you're just throwing um, and if one table at that event is weird like that i think that's a good thing yeah like our uh like our train wreck table <laughs> <laughs> what i'm calling back to is that the previous packet had three strict definitions for how terrain should be deployed onto the battlefield. There was scatter terrain uh, method, there was quadrant terrain uh, deployment method, and there was uh, radial deployment method for terrain. Um, we haven't seen that uh, as part of this packet yet, but I really want that process to be made much more easy and much more accessible to um, event organizers because more often than not, you just see people completely ignoring that page entirely. Yeah, I do. And whatever, <laughs> I'm going to throw forest here, this there, that there, and that there. But like that does that can throw off how units interact and armies interact. And it can make some armies feel stronger than others um, in a vacuum. Because you know maybe Storm Legion's really strong when they push you out of the battlefield, but if there were more obstacles in their way and they couldn't charge you all the time... You know, this could be a completely different game for you. Um, and I want to see that type of experience become more centralized for the player base. While, like you said, I want I want to mix it up with terrain every once in a while, but I don't want that to compromise the competitive focus of this packet. Because again, this is the competitive organized play packet. It is not necessarily the time to be uh, overflowing with narrative on what these terrain features look like. Did I'm just like looking up some stuff. I, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the ownership for these, uh, for, for the, like, sorry. So getting back to what we're talking about though, for the scenario sets, I'm looking forward to people having the ownerships. I'm just worried though, that this may seem like another burden to pick up. Like I, I know like I, I kind of go back to the reception of defenses where they were there and everyone kind of had that uh, discussion of, oh, is this what everybody needs in order to go and be um, competitive? And I think that that conversation has definitely, like, died down. Uh, you don't see that discussion happening anymore. I think the people who won defenses got him, who didn't want them, didn't pick them up. But I, I don't want to see something similar happen to the objectives where it's that... I'm playing devil's advocate here, where they say... I don't want to get these objectives because I'm not going to go spend the $15, $20 on this set of pirate MacGuffins that don't match my own army. And there's not one that, that I have for my own army. So I'm just not going to go do that. And then that person will not go to those steamrollers, those organized play events. And then that TO will be left with lower attendance. But then on the flip side of that, let's say that this is $20 for a set, that TO has to spend $40 to fuel a whole table. And with how many tables they have, that's going to become very, very expensive. And then they may look for cheaper alternatives where it's going to go be the neoprene zones. And I, or sorry, the neoprene objectives. And then we're just kind of moving backwards to some of the problems that plagued Mark III organized play. That's, I guess, like where, where like my mind, like going uh, no, for definitely. No, you make a good point, especially because the defenses are entirely optional, right? If you're somebody like me, I, I mean, I have defenses, but I don't, like, I don't really build lists with defenses generally. I don't, I choose not to play them. They're not mandatory. These are mandatory if you're going to play in a steamroller. So if it's expected of you to bring these, you have to make that one-time purchase. 
and that's that. I mean, I'm hoping that wouldn't be a deal breaker for, for people who are spending hundreds of dollars on these uh, on these models, but it it could be it could be a problem for people to feel some kind of way about about having to spend extra money just to be able to play uh, in a tournament. Pennies. Yeah, or or just proxy <laughs> them because they're easily proxied. I think it would be on brand for us to mention if you're an event organizer, you have a community that you need to leverage here, right? It's not always going to be on you to have enough 30 40 and 50 millimeter proxies or pennies as erica had said for all of these elements ask your you know veteran players i need your proxies bring them to the next tournament so we can run this um you know rely upon the community around you and and use each other to lift each other up um yeah because we're I certainly not going to buy 20 sets of these things <laughs> right uh, <laughs> and we are but but at the but the pardon me you will never be able to make everyone happy especially not war gamers things are changing everyone's upset but um i think it's a step in the right direction and i don't think it's out of the question for a player to also say yes i'm willing to spend a little bit extra money so that i can participate in organized play tournaments i'm ready to step up to that level of my game or i'm already there so i understand as a a player that engages in tournament play and competitive play that there is an aspect of this game i will have to spend a little extra money on because now I'm entering a world where maybe I need two or three copies of that unit to, to beat the next guy in line. Or, you know, I, I just know that come that it comes with the territory. I'm going to have to open my wallet. all you know, one more time um, to, to maintain my competitive edge. That's just the nature of that. And I think that players that are, you know, actually committed to playing this game at this level will understand that and won't have an issue with it. I think we'll see some initial flash in the pan over the price point of these items. And then just like defenses, just like guard towers or bunkers, after a few weeks, it'll probably die down and smooth over. Okay. Well, I think we beat this uh, horse as much as we're able to. So we can probably get done unless anybody else has anything else that you wanted to um, make mention. Horse is thoroughly beaten. Yeah, I think horse is, uh, horse is lying on the ground right the now. The beatings will continue until morale improves, Paul. <laughs> um my sign-off is that uh, this scenario packet is new and fresh. I'm really excited about it. I am excited to see uh, all the big brain possibilities, and I want to get uh, I want to get Wombo comboed by someone moving objectives into a place where I wanted to put a Warjack. Um, I think it'll be a unique experience. It's the next level for the game, and I'm excited for it. Can't wait for January. Yeah, ever since I've seen yeah ever since I've seen these, I uh, I haven't really had a, a desire to play the mark three scenarios just for in the interest of trying to learn these and understand them and and uh experiment with them so they they've got to be doing something right yeah same i uh i'm really optimistic and excited to see what's you know what what's coming out i think it's definitely where we see like the rules and some of these new armies that are coming out um like these uh, scenario rules, I think it's it's a very exciting time for War Machine. I think PP, you know, kudos to them. I think they're um, uh, learning a lot as we're all moving through this process. And I would just encourage uh, everyone to uh, give them a try. And don't forget your pennies. All right, cool. All right, well, with that, we'll go ahead and end this podcast episode. And we will catch you on the next one. we got a bat rep coming up if it's not already out. Um, we'll see one of these Mark IV scenarios out there, and we will see you soon, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye. Tickets for Novago on sale March 1st. <laughs>